0: I think Creativity is a lot like surfing. surfing.
1: You, you, you dream of catching the wave.
0: You, 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 you dream, dream of what before, before the night. You just stand up on the, the ocean. Right Right away. Right.
1: Welcome to Cirque du Sound, a sonic trip brought to you by Cirque du Soleil. On this show, we redefine the boundaries of creativity with some of today's most forward thinkers, doers, and creators, exploring how the creative spark dances inside all of us. I'm the creative guide at Cirque du Soleil and director of a few shows. Welcome to our podcast. Our shows at Cirque du Soleil are all inspired by the many ways that human creativity intersects with other disciplines. We draw inspiration from the fields like botany, astronomy, literature, mythology, anthropology, music history, and more. Today on the show, we're going to dive into a conversation about musical inspiration and about drawing on our foundational influences. What does it feel like to unpack a masterpiece and create something new and innovative from it? How do you do this in a way that still respects and honors the original work? A key part of the creative process for sure and a truly delicate tightrope to walk. Right now in the background you're hearing the music of one of our most famous and successful shows, Love, a beautiful and unique Cirque du Soleil show that celebrates the musical legacy of the Beatles. It explores the history of the Beatles' music and story through an interpretive acrobatic stage performance and a surround sound sonic experience. The stage show itself is an incredible mixture of choreography, acrobatics, scene changes, character work, that take us on a journey through time. But there is even more magic hiding behind the scenes. This unique show, Love, was created through the historic reinterpretation of the Beatles' classic music and the creative use of technology to restore, remix, and enhance it. Today, I'm joined by Giles Martin, Grammy Awards winning record producer, songwriter, composer, and multi instrumentalist known for his work with the Beatles, among other iconic artists. Giles is the visionary music producer and engineer who helped reimagine the Beatles' music for The Love Show into what it is today. Son of renowned Beatles producer Sir George Martin, Giles grew up in and around recording studios, talented musicians, and an aura of creativity. He has independently earned a reputation as a successful producer far away from the spotlight of his father's audio legacy. Beyond his amazing work with the Beatles catalog, Giles has also worked with Elvis Costello, Jeff Beck, Celine Dion, In Excess, Kate Bush, Elton John, and The Rolling Stones, to name just a few of the minor characters he's worked with. Charles is known for his meticulous attention to detail and his ability to bring out the best in the artists he works with. He is highly respected in the music industry and is considered one of the top producers of his generation. Charles Martin, welcome to Sir De Sound. Wow! Thank you.
0: for I a what an introduction! I feel, I feel, I can just die now. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> and, uh, and and can I just say what a what an honour it is to be speaking with such an amazing creative spirit as yourself, who's done the most I'm, extraordinary shows with Circus slay. So, thank you for that.
1: My God, th- thanks a lot. It's a teamwork. Can you please introduce yourself? Because you know, I just did it, but I like when people introduce themselves with their own world and describe for me and our listeners what it is that you do exactly. As a music producer and engineer. So I'm Giles Martin. Thank you for having me on the show. I, uh, a music producer or
0: engineer, I mean, it's it, it's a multifaceted journey. Quite often we are like music directors. If you imagine a film where you have a bunch of actors and the director has the over and deciding factor on what that creative mission should be and what the creative person be, a record producer or a music producer will do the same thing with artists. So essentially, it's that, and then there's an engineer mixing or balancing sound, and then you're responsible for the the overall finished product, if you like. So you have to have a vision, you have to have attention to detail, but most of it is psychology. Most of it is, uh-huh. uh, as Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney said to me, having worked as an album with him, and obviously my father with the Beatles, worked with him a lot. He said, "The good thing about you, Martins, is you have a good bedside manner." <laughs> And what he means is like, you know, you can lie next to each other in bed and talk about things. It's a nice nice way of explaining it. So yeah, having
1: a good bedside manner is is important. I love it. So you're one of few, if not the only person who's been given the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, uh, of the Beatles catalog. Can you please explain what that actually means for our audience? (laughs) Yes,
0: I suppose it means that you're constantly in danger of getting fired. <laughs> um, no, it, it, actually, what, in all, what, what it means is, and there's a trust that goes on with the Beatles, mm-hmm. the remaining Beatles, and the wives and the children. Whenever there's a new project with the Beatles project, I suppose I'm the artist director. So, so we originally been remixing the albums or re-releasing the albums. So I will take uh, Revolver, we've just done, we did the White Album, Abbey Road, Let It Be, I did the Get Back project with Peter Jackson. And essentially, I'm based at Abbey Road Studios, and I take the material, and they trust me to work on it, to work on it for them. And it's, you know, it's a a huge honor. My father signed the Beatles and made all their albums. I never expected to ever be in this situation in my life, but I'm absolutely honored
1: that I am. Wow. So for our audience to understand, like, you work with The stems. You, you know where the
0: we, we work with the you, with the original tapes. they they yeah they recorded onto one inch four-track tape mainly, which is basically an old tape system. It's fun kind of it also sounds wow. beautiful, by the way. And the funny thing about tapes is you can put them on a machine and they play. <laughs> now the strange thing about computers is you can't fire up a computer from ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and make it work. But the great thing about the Beatles legacy is that I can I can dip into any of the eras from nineteen sixty-two to nineteen seventy. And I can have that music at
1: my fingertips. As, and it sounds exactly the same as when they originally recorded it. Wow. It's funny. I remember I was part of the, the, the team that did the casting of Love. And uh, one day, Dominic gathered all the cast. And I had the chance to be there that afternoon. And he said, I'm just back from London. And I want to share something with you. And I still have shivers. And what he shared with us is that he had access to the little cassette from a tape recorder that John Lennon had, had in his kitchen. And he was just, you know, searching for a song. And, you know, a chord and then another chord. And then his kid kisses him before he goes to school. Let me take you down to And you listen to the birds of strawberry fields forever and he shared that yeah. with us and he said look how many people on planet earth has have heard that a, a handful apart from you guys today so you you must like what's the feeling to be to be in contact with the the real material the energy of such a significant moments in in the the music history
0: well it's extraordinary it's extraordinary because you right. It's easy, for, it's easy to forget the human element that goes on. It's easier to, to, to see music as a flat surface. What mm. I mean by that is the sound that comes out of your speakers and your headphones, and you forget that there's a person actually making that sound. And you forget that, that that is in real time. You know, you take Yesterday, it's Paul McCartney singing and playing the guitar at the same time in the studios.
1: Yesterday all my troubles seem so far away Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh I believe in yesterday Suddenly I'm not half the man I
0: And that recording, you know, takes as long as the song took And then they added some strings on it, but it's it's, it's pure, that is it. There's no that, that is the performance.
1: Why she had to go? I don't know. She wouldn't
0: say. And you think about how many times that three minutes has been listened to in the world. And it's when you hear that and you go, "Wait a second, what's this?" And there's there's two things that occurred to me at the time. One is that you kind of want to know what the magic is, so you can recreate it. You want to know what the buttons you press that make the magic happen. And there's a beauty and also a strange disappointment because you realize you can't do it in the fact that these people are just geniuses. They're just really, really good. And they're just making the sound. How do they get the sound? Is that they're humans making the sound is the answer. Talking, it's not any technology. It's just mm-hmm. someone in a room. And that's, just, that's so incredibly special. And it's a bit like it's a bit like finding a manuscript by Shakespeare mm-hmm. that he wrote these words that people every know, to be or not to be. He wrote down on a piece of paper. He had that idea, he wrote that on a piece of paper, and now everyone knows that exists. Yeah. And Strawberry Fields forever, John Lennon playing the guitar, kissing goodbye to Julian, and then saying, let me take it down, you know, because we're going to Strawberry Fields. That's a good idea. And it's just like, wow, where does this come from? It comes from spirit, and it comes from a human being, and that's it doesn't come from technology, it comes from people.
1: I I read when we were doing Love, uh, an interview with Paul McCartney, who said, listen, we were the, doing the chronicle of our era. So we were standing on a boat and watching what's on each side and, and just singing about it. Do you think something has to do with the era or the capacity to connect with your era, to channel things? Would you say there's a connection with what they were living, uh, with the, the society we're living in? crystallizing that in 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 some uh, forms
0: yeah yes of course i think i think every great artist reflects their Mm time but every great artist at the same time is also timeless yeah so there's a combination and also future thinking so yes i think i think there's a number of things here i think the beatles were at a time in the 60s where there was a huge transitional change in, Mm -hmm. in america and around the world and in the UK, certainly. But they also had each other. There was also four of them. The funny thing about the Beatles is that you hear Yesterday or Ellen the Rigby, which is just Paul and strings and guitar, or you'll hear Julia by John Lennon, which is just John Lennon and a guitar. It's still the Beatles.
1: It's still the Beatles. Yeah, it's not John so Lennon performing. Right. Mm-hmm. It's
0: still the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And that's because you've sensed the other three members are always with, there's always four. Talk about collaboration with The Love Show the collaboration between myself and Dominic and the inspiration and my father as well was, was really important to have that collaboration because you inspire each other and you push each other and you argue. I mean, that's the thing is the the important thing about collaboration, artistic collaboration is to disagree. You learn more mm. from disagreeing than you do from agreeing. A river that flows smoothly is the fun ride. The turbulence is important as well. You know, otherwise, it'd be no fun to go river rafting. And that's what the creative approach is like. It's this bouncy, turbulent journey that you go on, and it's exhilarating, it's fun, because it's, that's the process. Wow. In the process of the love show, Gilles St. Croix will tell you, I mean, we fought a lot. <laughs> and I love Gilles, and we get on very well. We fought a lot. I mean, really, Dominic left the show once and came back. You know, there was this <laughs> Oh, my God, concert. yes. Yeah, and listen, and Dominic and I are, are really close, good friends. I would do anything for him.
1: That's what he told me, yeah.
0: There's, there's almost a a fear of confrontation in art now. And the confrontation in art is one of the most important things. And when it comes to the Beatles and what they did, people talk about their confrontation, but that confrontation was born with a foundation of love. And that's why we call the show Love. And, you know, people talk about John and Paul. John and Paul had such rivalry, you know. John wanted to write a song like Hey Jude, but couldn't. And Paul probably wanted to write Iron the Walrus, but couldn't. But that's not the point. The point is that they they did it. And as soon as anyone had something, they would gather around them and they would they would make it better. And that's the way that collaborative art should be. It's like you're working with someone and you may go, hey, Michelle, I'm not sure about this, but let's just do it. Let's just tr- let's throw ourselves yeah. into it. Let's not be scared of this. And and also not to go, I told you so at the end of it you know that's the point it's like and it takes people spend too much time talking about stuff and not enough time doing things in art I say to people when I'm doing music I said I did this film Rocket Man, the Elton John film mm-hmm. and I said to the director Dexter Fletcher who's a really good friend of mine and we you know I love him I said listen Dex I'm going to get it wrong so many times but let me get it wrong so we can get it right let's not be scared of anything and it was a great creative process that's the that's the process let's, let's throw things at the wall and see what happens let's
1: not be scared it doesn't no one's going to die here it's, it's related to trust, because you trust yourself and you trust the other person. So this is why you can go in those in those areas and try. You know, A juggler, if you want to juggle nine balls and you just juggle eights, you have to accept you're going to drop some of them. Otherwise, you're never going to uh, juggle nine.
0: Absolutely. And it's to do with trust, but it's also, Michelle, to do with taste as well. You have to trust each other's taste. Yes. yes. So you have to know that each other's <laughs> judgment is right. That's the key, because otherwise you end up doing this for the sake of it. So there has to be that thing. It's like, where. If you, Michel, if you say to me, like, listen, Giles, I mean, I can see what you're doing here, but it doesn't feel right. And then I have to go with empathy. I have to go, you know what?
1: I think you've got a point here. You know, I think there's an understanding here. And that's the way it has to be. Uh, trust is so, so important. And, and you build this over time. You know, the first era of Cirque du Soleil was was that. was Franco, Dragon, Dominique Lemieux, yeah. who was doing the costume, Michel Cret, the set designer, and Jill, And they did you know, they learned, they grew together and they, they really trust each other. They were not in peril if they disagreed. And that's very, very important. And And, and I agree with you. People now that, oh my God, if, if we don't have the consensus, it means that we're not getting along. No, 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 no. We're doing our job and we have to be honest. At the same time, it has to be fairly small as well. You, you can't have 50
0: people's opinion. It has I to be agree. a small group.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, the
0: other, and the other thing that I inspired me by working on The Love Show, which actually was the, was like a, a a breakthrough artistically it was a breakthrough period for me. Wow. And I think it was a breakthrough period for for a number of reasons. One is because of Sir Dislay. And one is because there was no ceiling. Hmm. And that was like, wow, really? You know, Gilles saint Carl, was very good. It's like we can do, we can, we can have everybody was saying to the Beatles, we can have breakdancers on stilts wearing roller skates or whatever. It was just of a crazy And you just go, okay, I, I can do I can do anything. And it's funny, my father, who I needed for the process, because he was like my, my safety net. He was more scared than I was, because I just <laughs> thought, I thought I'd just get fired. I honestly thought, at some point, the idea of Sir Land the Beatles doing a show in Vegas and having George Martin's son do the music is such a bad idea that it's, that, that it's, that it's, that it's, ne- it's never going to happen. So I might as well just jump out of a plane yeah. <laughs> and, and and hopefully I don't crash. That was the answer. And and Cirque enabled me to do that. It was such a it was such a revelation to be able to have that. And I think in the early days of Cirque with with Gilles and Guy and the whole team, you know, the brilliance they had is they didn't have a they, they didn't think there was a ceiling. It was just crazy. Was like everything was like gambling. Everything was like, you know, let's see what happens here.
1: Yeah, I think I think also it's because it's out of passion. We don't act uh, based on fear because, you know, if you deal with people who walk on wires at 40 feet in the air, yeah, you learn that. You learn that, you know, there's a, there's a generosity that goes. When we do a show, it's, it's, it's not about not making mistakes. It's about doing something that we're very excited. And because the process is so long, you have to be passionate with every element that you're going to you know, spend your life with.
0: And I think also there's a thing with the Quebecois and the Soda Slay that that I noticed. Where's this? Which I, f- I found I found actually <laughs> I laughed at sometimes. Which was the belief that you're very very small and the people don't listen to you. So you fight, you fight, you fight. You know, that's Actually, there's there's way more Quebecois than there are, you know, in in Ireland. The Irish but It's it's but the same mentality. It's like it's that artistic mentality of like we need to be listened to here. We are humble. We need to be listened to here, and and I think from from my part, when I started doing the Love Show, there was that element of punk about it. And I think Cirque has that that how had that element of punk. It's like you know we're going to do what we're going to do, and that boils to the creative side where the best reason to make a show or make some music or doing it is because you want to see it or you want to hear it. You know that's the best reason. It's like I want to go and see the film. Why do I want to go work on a show? I want to sit there and see the show. That's that. That has to be your your drive. There's a very good story about George Harrison. You know, who's the guitarist, lead guitarist in the Beatles, mm-hmm. and he he was good friends with Monty Python. You know Monty Python? Yes, I'm a huge fan. So Monty Python had the script of their film Life of Brian, and they had an EMI were funding Life of Brian. And they were out. They started filming, and they're out. And the chairman of the chairman of EMI had never read the script, and he suddenly read the script and thought, "Oh my God, this is about Jesus, and and this is a parody of, we're not doing this." And they pulled the film. They 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 pulled all the funding from the film. Really? And Eric Idle phoned up George Harrison and told him. George Harrison said, "Well, I'll pay for it." And he mortgaged his house because it was a lot of money. He mortgaged his house to pay for the film. Wow. And the Monty Python said to George Harrison, "Why have you done this?" And he said, "Because I want to go and see it." <laughs> and, and they say it's still the most money that anyone's paid for a cinema ticket. <laughs> you know, and that's the, know that's that the creative verge. Yeah, yeah. So that's so that is the creative urge. Just like, why are you doing this? Because I want to see. I want to see the show, and that always has to be the reason. And anyone who works with So To Stay, that should be their reason why they're working on it. And there's a very interesting thing in art right now, which which, which relates to this, and it's it relates in music and in film, funnily where people have playlists and there's and there's artificial intelligence that recommends you music I that know. you like, and it recommends you films you like, and film companies make films they think you'll like, and 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 it goes on. You don't want strawberry jam on toast every morning for breakfast, exactly. And and so what happens is is all of the the sea changes, the big changes that's happened in culture have, become, have come from people being exposed to things they don't necessarily think they like but they realize they do. It's happened with the Beatles because there were no guitar bands for the Beatles and then yeah. suddenly there were the Beatles. Yeah. Elvis was this this white guy singing black music. Yeah. You know, rap and hip-hop are a really good example of yeah. underground becoming overground. And in film, for instance, Star Wars is the best example where there was no sci-fi films and Star Wars was basically a Western film, a Western that's been applied to, into space, if you like. Yep. Suddenly it becomes this cultural shift. Imagine a world without Star Wars. But that was not a complete outlier. And people think, well, this is just normal. But no, when it came out, it was the first film of its kind. And if we do an art, only what we think the audience wants to hear or wants to watch, we'll never progress and we'll never challenge. And then we'll never entertain. And we do what we do because we want to entertain people. That's the Absolutely. key thing.
1: But so the Love, the love Show uh, features reimagined versions of classic Beatles songs. How did you balance staying true to the original recordings while also bringing a fresh perspective to the music?
0: It was very interesting. It's a good question because I started working on the Beatles Love Show before I'd met anyone from So to Slay. Really? So okay. the legacy of that was that I spoke to Neil Aspil and I said to him, I think I can create a soundtrack the show without using any like DJs, I think I could just use it by using the, what what the Beatles have on tape. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, "You've got three months, and I'm not going to pay you." That was the deal. Are <laughs> so you joking? The status it's, it's a standard contract. And so, uh, so I so went to Abbey Road. My father was ill at the time. He had, he had to go into hospital for an operation. And I went and I played around. I did Here Comes the Sun with some Indian tabla instruments. So I thought that was George Harrison. I used and, and it's From Within You, Without You. I then took Within You, Without You because I used that and combined that with Tomorrow Never Knows. No and then, and then I had an idea how into we do the beginning of the show? And I had the idea of the uh, the drum solo from um, It's It's in the End, Golden Slumbers, and putting that with Get Back, and then and then using the crescendo strings from A Day in the Life. And then I thought, how do I begin this? And, and I began it with the, be- the best ending the Beatles has is the piano on a dead life, the big piano called. Bing. So if I turn that back, if I turn that backwards, maybe it'll be a good beginning. So it just mirror, I louder and louder, and then it goes in the guitar called a Hard Day's Night. So I build this thing. My father came out of hospital, and he heard the get back. He liked that. He heard Here Comes the Sun. He, he heard I did the thing with either while, while the war. He hated Within You, Out Tomorrow. He didn't like Within You, Without, and Tomorrow Never Knows. He thought it was too. I was pushed it too far. <laughs> okay. So, so then Paul McCartney came in to the studios and he heard and he goes, yeah, I think you could put and you, My father would not let me play with you new and the album where never knows. And so Paul McCartney goes, I think you can push this further. This is fine. It's clever. But I think you can push it further. I went, oh, "Well, how about this? And I played him the two songs together. He went, this is what we should be doing. This is what I want to hear. And so to answer the question, I had my father and the Beatles mm. as, as, as the guides, if you like, going well, and then my father, you know, to his credit, and he was a great man, sort of went, you know what, I now love this. I now love the idea that, we're, that you're doing this and you're changing stuff. And, and so it's, again, it's a question of taste. And I found it quite strange because I did most of the, the creation of the thing, but then I'd play it to my father and I'd, I'd watch his face. It's that collaboration thing and we trust <laughs> yes. each other. And there was a time when I was in Vegas doing the show, and I changed the beginning of "Here Comes the Sun," and I put some more vocals on it. I had some bass. I think from "I Want You She's So Heavy," another Beatles song. And I realized that he, my father wasn't there, and I, I felt really—I felt like I was having an affair. The yeah. fact that I wasn't playing to him—I wasn't <laughs> playing it to him first because I'd always play stuff to him first, even though I was, I was playing to Dominic first. I wasn't playing it to my father, and I found so. Yeah, it was a question of balance and. And 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 the the great thing was is both Cirque and my father and the Beatles gave me this freedom. They gave me a freedom, and they wanted me to push things. That was the interesting. Thing. I remember, mean, like you know, all of that. Ringo and Paul would go, "No, you should push." You know, I remember I played Help to Paul. Help in the show is basically just Help. It's yeah. not. It doesn't. It's the song. And Paul goes, "It's like, what are we paying you for?" That was the like, you know, <laughs> this is just Help. What you know, what what are you
1: doing here? Wow. It's funny because my best memory, because this is so universal, and each bit is a gem. Uh, my best memory of auditioning uh, people for this project, it was not hard to convince people to audition, right?
0: Yeah.
1: I remember going to South Africa. At that time, South Africa was like, it was just 10 years after the, the new constitution and it was like boiling, it was artistically super interesting, but very, very dangerous My best memory was a dancer. It was really good in in contemporary and stuff. But then I said, what what other type of dances do you do? He said, I I do Zulu traditional dance. And I, I put the Beatles song. I said, okay, be fruitful to your Zulu dance, ancestral dance, but dance on the Beatles music. It was so beautiful. And then I realized even more like, wow, their music is so universal. If a guy can dance Zulu and it makes sense... With their music, it's like, I understand even more now, you know? It's that open mindedness. That's the thing in creativity, is that open
0: mindedness. Like, you know, why why not have a Zulu dance or a Beatles track?
1: But that's very strict to Soleil. And I realize it's very Beatles. Yeah. The, the mindset, yeah. like the, the openness to say, no, let's, let's play with it, let's try, we'll see. And uh, something yeah. imprevisible will happen, a surprise will and, and
0: And with the Beatles, there's no other band in history that have embraced so many different cultures. Yeah, And it's very hard to do as a a band because we all have our own DNA and we can't get away from it. But they just seem to, you know, it's there's a quote by Douglas Adams, the writer, which is the key to flying is to throw yourself at the ground and miss. And the key to sometimes creating great art is to impersonate someone and not get it right. Hmm. And that's what the beats would do all of the time. They would try and create, they they would try and do a Beach Boys song. And Back in the USSR is a Beach Boys song. Yes. But it's a Beatles you. song. You know, there's lots of songs like this, like, you know, "Helter Skelter. And, and Sun King from Abbey Road is Albatross by Fleetwood Mac, but it isn't. We you listen to those two songs, and it's just like, I like the sound of this, let's do this. And that's the key. And and, and that open-mindedness of, like, pushing boundaries, you know, even though um, you have a culture of South Africa, dance to a Beatles song, it's it's a perfect mix because it's it's it, it shows how It's just based on music and love and passion and not on bigotry and not on self, you know, not on opinions that you already had. Mm -hmm.
1: It's human expression in pure form. I know there's a lot of technical innovations used in the production of the Music of Love. Uh, Can you tell us about about some of them? There's a a unique sound system that's used in the theater, but in the process, I think you you had some special software or, or
0: technology. My biggest concern, winding back, was this is the first time that Cirque or most people had done a show of this scale, which had no live musicians. There was no I live know, musicians. I it was the biggest issue for Cirque at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were like, no, we can't have live musicians because it's the Beatles. And yep. they're, not, they're not live anymore. And my biggest concern was like, are people going to go there, tell you To so the day we opened, actually, the day we opened, I was thinking, are people going to just think they're listening to a CD or a track? And this is boring. That was my concern. So I was trying to push and push. And then we thought, okay, we have to build a sound system, which is immersive. And this before we now live in a world of immersive audio, which is, it's now happening with Dolby Atmos, et cetera. Essentially what we did in, in that show there was, was Dolby Atmos before Dolby Atmos existed. We created seat speakers and ceiling speakers and speakers in the mm. rear. And then we sat and we mixed the, the music. So it was completely custom to that environment. And we we did have to invent new software in order to make that work and to make it play back correctly and then create a show that could be could be like my my father always said it's like scales of an armadillo's back where it interlocks and and, and it's, you can move it to a certain degree, mm. but it's still a playback system. Wow. And it was a fascinating it was it was like playing God in a way, because I would sit in this theater, which I did when we did the refresh five years ago, seven years ago. You know, you sit in this in this chair and decide how the show should sound, and mix the show in the room. And it stays the same every night. I, but I remember, here's the story. I remember with Yesterday, which is obviously a very important Beatles song, knowing that I couldn't do any crazy like mash-up or you know, sound spying around with Yesterday, it's Yesterday, is Yesterday. And I thought, what is a soft song like Yesterday going to be like in a theater? And I was in Montreal, and there was a big top show happening, a creation of a big top show. I can't remember which show it was. And I said, can I go down the Big Top show, and play yesterday in the in the PA. I wonder, I wonder what it ah. feels like. You know, because this music had never been heard, played loud, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it, went was, down it, to was Cartier. it was Cortio. It was Cortio. It was Cortio. Yep. And yep. well, I went down, and I sat in there. They were doing the rigging and stuff, and I sat, and they played yesterday, wow. or just on a CD, in the wow. thing. And the thing was, everyone stopped doing what they were doing, and they listened to the song. Wow. Because it was loud. It's like, who listens to Yesterday by the Beatles through a big PA system in a big room? You're right. No one. And I thought, well, I thought, this is interesting. There's something about music as a communal thing. But then when you're a number of people and you listen to it together, mm-hmm. there is a bond that happens with that experience. And if we all listen to it on headphones now.
1: It's a different thing. It feels not improvised, but it feels like it's cre- it's so creative, what you've done, that it feels like it's being created right now in front of our ears and eyes. So that's why it feels so alive. Could you share one of your favorite memories from your experience working with the Beatles catalog for The Love Show? The first one that comes to my mind is when um, Paul McCartney came to to check on the show.
0: And um, I sat with him, my father, and Dominic. And we listened to the opening of the show and the idea was to present the show to him. And the show broke. Like, you know, we got to the beginning of Get Back and the bungees came down and they just stayed there. And Paul's no. just staring at everyone just hanging there. And we're thinking, we didn't even get through the opening of the show, you know, because, <laughs> you know, what's like in creation of the show. It was like, and they, and, and I started, and we started playing some of the music to him. And he turned to me and he said, you know, I just want to thank you for what you've done because you have to understand that you write a song on a paper bag in the back of a van you write the words of a song and then it becomes this uh. looking around the room and he goes you never think it's going to become this and it just always uh. surprises me and to have him and have my father and then at the opening of the sh- the opening of the, the that opening night where i you know it's on the it's on the the film where me and my father walking arm in arm on stage and we'd spent um you know, three years together, two years mm. together, like a father and son, with me trying to impress him, with me trying to prove mm. to him that I was good enough, and the the bond that that gave the two of us. You know, he died six years ago. We'll we'll always thank Cirque for. Wow, we'll always you know thank the great process because we wouldn't have spent that time together and mm. and spend that time talking about lots of things in life as well as music,
1: and that's probably the biggest thing I'll take. I have big shivers. This it's so. This show is called love, and it's not by accident. And I I felt so proud to be at Cirque du Soleil. It just it it, it just made so much sense, you know. And this show still after twenty years has this vibe of love because Dominique is a very loving person.
0: With the Beatles themselves, it was really mm. the first time there was a new art. Created by the, for the Beatles. That was the that was the difference. No one had ever touched the Beatles tapes before. No one had ever done what I'd done. It was like and Abbey Road at the time when we, when I was making the show, I was hated at Abbey Road. You know, I'm now part of Abbey Road. I'm you know now. But uh, but as as, a, as in those days, it was like really. Yeah. How dare how dare you, how dare you how dare you do this to the Beatles music? Wow. That was the that was the and so it was it was an interesting time and it was the first time you know the Beatles had opened themselves. And then had to collaborate and had to be forced to make decisions as the four and the two wives, or the or Ringo <laughs> and Paul, and the two wives. Mm-hmm. And and it was for me, I, I'd never worked with the Beatles before, so I didn't know what the dynamic was. So I, I was in some ways it was easier for me than it was with my father. Um, because I had no history. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, it was no one ever talked about money. No one ever talked about Su- success being money mm-hmm. success was was making people happy in an audience and making people love Cirque and love the
1: Beatles in a minute I'm going to continue this conversation with Giles Martin the award winning music producer songwriter, composer and multi-instrumentalist known for his work with the Beatles Elton John, and the Rolling Stones among many more fans go first whether it's early access to seasonal deals or pre-sales, pick your tickets before everybody else. Sign up for Club Sick today, and you'll be the first to hear about access to special events, pre-sales, and discounts. Take a look behind the curtain and enjoy up-to-date news on all things Cirque du Soleil, including shows, artists, and latest innovations. Visit Cirque du to subscribe. Just a quick reminder, you're listening to Cirque du Sound, a podcast about the many origins of creativity from Cirque du Soleil. My name is Michel Laprise. If you like what you're hearing, I hope you'll tell your friends about us and leave us a review. Of course, we would love to hear from you. Before we dive into some more questions about your creative process, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with your father if you're comfortable? Sir George Martin, the renowned Beatles producer. Yeah,
0: my father and I were very close. In fact, in fact, when he was very ill, he was he said, I think so, I think we're telepathic. He said mm. to me, I think you can I think you understand my thoughts. And and in fact it was a bit like Benjamin Button, you know, he wasn't around a lot when I was a kid, but we he he lost his he started losing his hearing, and that's what made me get into doing what I do because he'd have to take me to studios, and I'd have to be his ears. Wow. Um, so I would help him hear, and from there I learned what I was doing. I mean, he was pretty hard on me. I mean, I remember I was quite good at music when I was a kid, and I said he said to me, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to do music." Then he goes, "I don't think you can." I said, "Why not?" And he goes, "I just don't think you're good enough." And I was wow. like, I had a, but I have a, I have a slight you're either a punk or a hippie and I think I'm a punk, whereby you know you I was just like you know my attitude my attitude was like f you I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and do it anyway. It was hard at the time, but I but I but I think the interesting with with the Love Project as I mentioned was was it was important for us in lots of ways because I never had any plans to work any on any Beatles material that was never really? a plan. Wow, and I suppose. At that time, for my career, I was thinking, oh, what am I going to do? I have a a brilliant manager and friend called Adam Sharp who we were, I I started doing classical records and I wasn't really enjoying it. I'd just done a big classical record, which actually became the fastest selling classical record in the UK. No way. And I was like, what am I doing? What am (laughs) am I, you know, why am I, I'm doing music I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not really that interested in doing. And then the possibility of the show came up, and I remember at that stage at that period of time, a lot of people were doing these mashups. I remember Kid Rock did a oh mashup yeah, of yeah. "Sweet Home Alabama." Do you remember that? You just yeah, I was thinking, well, that's kind of interesting. And I thought to myself, what would it be like if if a band did a mashup with themselves, opposed to with two bands together? And my father didn't really understand what I was saying. <laughs> he didn't like that, and and it was really what would happen is i would sit in the studios and i would try and come up with and dominic and i would i'd have thoughts about the show like the opening of the show i think i did before i met dominic he would say what songs he wanted i remember a good example of that was being of the benefit of mr kite Mm -hmm. he wanted to symbolize that being the media circus around the beatles and the circuit and being quite dark my issue with, with that was the song itself is not dark at all it's quite a happy like you know It's very kind of like, and I remember thinking. I remember I had a dog, and I walk around the park with my dog, thinking about how I can make this song into dark. And I, then there was this song called Blue Jay Way, which is an obscure song that I put on. And with my father, it changed from him being suspicious of me and what I was doing to like thinking, oh, this is interesting. What's he going to do next? Mm-hmm. And he would come into the studios. He would drive. He in the countryside, and I live in London. I'd be at Abbey Road Studios. And he would come like one or two days a week, and I'd play him what I'd been doing. And they'd go, that's interesting. We should try this or do this or look this. this." And we'd go for lunch in the same restaurant every day. And we'd sit and have a really nice meal, and we'd talk about things. And, and most kids, what was I, 30 years old then? Most 30-year-olds don't spend that much My time God. with their parents. No, you're right. And so we, we did, we spent, we were forced into this relationship and it was born out of love and it was born out of understanding music. And also what I did, here's the thing, it's because I thought that I'd probably get fired because I thought that the whole thing would not happen. I realized that none of the Beatles tapes, the original Beatles tapes had been backed up properly. So the first joking. thing I did is I went through and got the tapes and we put them onto a computer system because they hadn't been, these are the original tapes. And so we backed them up, and so I listened to everything, and I made notes and everything. And it was like I went through my—it was—I was going through my father's closet. I was mm, going through his, yeah. his clothes he wore, and all yeah. of that. And I was listening to, and then I would go through and I was asking, "What? How, why he did this?" And and for him, he hadn't listened to it in 40 years or whatever. And so we were talking about stuff he'd done. It was—it was just a, a a bond. And so it was really, um, yeah, it was a time that creatively, it was probably. One of the you know most progressive times of my life. I learned so much from my father. I learned so much from Dominic, um, and I and I and I. At the same time, I think I did good work.
1: Wow, Charles, can you please share with us some of the the most magical or uh, creative moments that you've experienced when working as a producer, or engineer with artists uh, other than the Beatles, or uh, on your own as a composer? I think
0: creativity. Is a
1: lot like surfing. You, you dream
0: of catching the wave, and you do. You dream of you know having that feeling of euphoria where you are just standing above the ocean and you're you're riding a wave. But most of the time I spend is treading water or being pushed back by waves or trying to swim <laughs> out to catch a wave. And you were with people who spent most of the, a lot of time surfing. <laughs> and the Beatles, I think, when my father with the Beatles, they spent a lot of their time just catching waves. You know. Me personally, um, I've had times in my life where I know that I've done good work and I know that it's been almost overwhelming. You think, oh, wait a second, did I did that? And it's a bit like, again, using analogy, it's a bit like throwing a stick in a river. It goes, it it it, it flows away. And you think, you know, can I ever do that again? But I remember one instance in my life where I was in Japan. I was actually with my father. We were doing a concert for UNICEF. And it was a bunch of different artists. Bob Dylan was there and... Bon Jovi were there, In Excess were there, Raikuda was there, but Joni Mitchell was also there. And she came to the rehearsal room in Japan and she said to me, I'm not quite sure what, what I'm going to play. And I and, and I wasn't like, I knew Joni Mitchell, I knew, you know, obviously respected, but didn't have any idea of the impact that she would have on me. And she sat on a chair about eight feet away and played just played Hijira on the guitar. And it was quite extraordinary. It was like the music came from everywhere it wasn't like a singer and a guitarist um and 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 it was overwhelming in a way because we spend so much of our time thinking we can learn everything thinking that if only i'd spent more time playing the piano i'd be a great piano player if any of my kids if any of my kids would you know pick up a paintbrush they'd be great artists i'm afraid to say that just simply isn't true Uh some people have generally god-given spiritual talents and that moment was sitting with Joni Mitchell in a room where she sang me a song, was one of those moments she realized that no matter if you took anyone and trained them and said, you know, you could be this, but they would never be her. Huh. And I think that's the key element. And the key element for people like me is then to try and capture that as much as you can and capture that purity of, of brilliance, really, that happens.
1: When you create something new, what does that moment? look or feels like for you can you talk about your process how you find creative inspiration in the studio how you put yourself and maybe there's many ways but like tell me about that moment
0: the creativity is writing the music you know is writing the, the string lines the orchestra playing mm-hmm. it's just instinctive it's just you know, I, I know what things uh, things sound right but there's a bigger question is like how do you come up with the ideas in the first place and and for me, it's quite often in the bath or like when I'm going to sleep or waking up and then, you know, you write things down, you remember them and, and, you, and you don't know when it's going to, and that, that's for a lot of people, that's what happens is yeah. that you have a table record. Luckily, we do have phones. And so, you know, on, this, on the Amy Winehouse movie, I'm writing a score. I've got to work out what the feel of the music should be. Mm. I want it to be her, um, her memories, if you like. And so I go to a piano and I just start playing things and I'll record it. And most of the time it may be, you know, crap. Hopefully sometimes it's good and, and 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 that's what that's what it is. I think it's it, I think you I think you've got to be you've got to be scared of looking at a blank page, but you've got to wanna to fill it. Uh-huh. You can't you can't just write, you know, some people do, but I find that I've got to fear the blank wall at the same time I want to live in a coloured room. And so and so that's the creative process. That's the thing where you think, okay, life is life is life is boring. Life can be really mm-hmm. boring and I, mundane. I agree with you. Life is life is and so how do you mix it up a little bit? How do you become I'm still the irritating child that I always was, and how do I go? how do I like, you know, throw the piece of paper in the bin and miss and then realize maybe it's, you know, something, there's something good written on it? How do you, how do you push yourself? And how do you change things? How do you disrupt your own thought and not do the same thing every day? And, and it's, 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 that's part of the creative process. There's no, or you just have to do it. That's the thing. That's what anyone says. And I'm the person guilty of it. You know, I'm the person that, would rather watch daytime TV than than write something, you know. I will do anything but the thing I'm meant to be doing. And then if I do it, sometimes it works out really, really well. And I feel like, as I say, I didn't do it. It's like it's gone. It's like, you know, it's like this this thing you had in your hand, and it's it's like an ice cream. You can really enjoy it, but it's going to melt, or you eat it. And it's gone. It's like, my God, where's that idea, it's, I mean, it's now on the page. But you don't go back and listen to it or watch it. You go... Well, that was no longer me. That was me then. And there's a really yeah. nice, with You're art right. and creation, there's, a, there's an immediacy that we have to appreciate, that living in the now thing where you go, otherwise you become arrogant. And you and if you don't start afresh each time, that's what I do. It's like, you know, I know, I, I know I've done some things. I know I've done some things that are good, but I don't feel like I have. Mm. I don't feel like I have. I feel like I don't know anything all the time. The next thing is the good one. Yeah, because it's just like, that was me doing it then. and mm-hmm. Now I'm here now, empty right, totally again.
1: Agree. Yeah. It's funny because also like that, like, I'd say the process is long, like two years, sometimes longer if you have construction, and you have to refresh all the time. I just uh, as, uh, as the creative guide, I attended a, a run a through last week. And it's so interesting because some things, you know, when you go, we, we, I'd say we're very well prepared. Uh, we do um, uh, storyboards, and it's very precise. In each tableau, what we want to say, what we mean, and stuff like that. But when you go from paper to live, it's tremendous. Uh, you've experienced that with love. Yeah, you have to be ready to change everything. But you know, it's it, it, you didn't waste your time. But this is paper is paper. But human yeah, exactly bodies right. Our human bodies, and you ha- and we did major changes last within a, a week, and it's fun because the, because the team understands and mastered their show and it's a living being and then they can just as a team move so fast so well
0: but that's the thing that you that people understand the creative in the creative space and, and i believe this actually go back to go back to the beatles and the studios you know abbey road studio Two is actually mm. a fairly boring room you know it's, it's yeah. where it's where sergeant peppers and dark side of the moon by pink floyd was made but it's a it's a box and i think that as an analogy to that, as a creator, and it's the same within Cirque du slayer you need to have a completely open mind and no ceiling to what you do. But when you make a project, you need to put it in a box. And you need to flood that box with light and sound and colors and everything else. But you need to, you always have limitations. And those limitations can make you create amazing things. It's like, it's like that thing about, you know, sometimes... You know, if a if a if a ball is bouncing around a big room, it'll bounce faster as the room gets smaller. Sometimes that limitation creates energy. It creates mm-hmm. that energy. And I, and I think that's that's always quite a good thing to understand and to sympathize. So if you are absolutely right when creating when creating a show, if you're creating a show, you have all these things written down on paper and you have these beautiful boards nowadays. We can create amazing, we can sell most things to most people with YouTubes and beautiful boards. And then you're faced with the reality of having human beings. Oh my God, what are human beings do? And acrobats and and people who have injuries and and apparatus and music and sound and lights. And then suddenly you go, oh my God, we've got to make this happen, but we now have these constraints that can make you create
1: even better work. So I know we have to finish, but if there's a one last seed of inspiration or food for thought about the creative process that you would like to share with us. I'm humble to give anyone advice, but my dad said to me,
0: you know, you should never accept second best. Don't compromise your vision and your thought. At the same time, have compassion for other people and always be kind. But the key thing is, criticize yourself Without closing any doors to your creativity, so listen to what you're doing and judge it, but at the same time, be your greatest advocate at times as well and fight your corner. Huh. I think that's key. I think you have to understand that you're not always going to surf the wave, and that you're going to be you know swimming through the sea and maybe 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 sometimes feel like you're drowning but if you try for long enough you know you're going to you're going to have a great ride and that's what people should remember
1: wow jules martin i want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and all the hearts here at c de Soleil who know you and those who don't but get your talent into their heart and soul whenever they see the beatles love show we have in vegas thank you so much so much and thank you for your love and support and your brilliant
0: creativity and and thanks oh, to I'm, Cirque for, for basically changing my life and opening doors to me, which I didn't think would ever be open. But seriously, it's it's an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to, to to many more collaborations with Cirque in the future.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. Join us for each episode as we delve into the themes and ideas that underpin Cirque du Soleil's shows. Learn more about the roots of creativity and how to keep your eyes, mind, and heart open to the new sources of creative inspiration. And remember, the creative spark dances inside all of us. Thank you so much for listening to Sec de Sound. I am Michel Lapis. À la prochaine.
0: Sec
1: so de Sound is produced by Seek du Soleil with technical and story production by Char O'Dieu. If you like what you heard today on Cirque du Sound, please subscribe, comment and leave a review.